Amen. If you haven't been with us before, which is uh, a few of you, we are currently starting a, um, or Andy and I are not really sure how long it's going to take. I have mentioned 40 years, but I promise that was a, a slip, hopefully not a Freudian one. But um, we, we, we're going to take time to study the book of Joshua because we believe there's principles and realities in that book that are for us today in 21st century um, Watford. And so we're doing a series called Living Life Without the Fear and uh, really starting to be spoken to by God. And so we're coming into chapter 2 of the book of Joshua. And um, it's an amazing story, an amazing reality, and um, just really excited as we continue to journey through the book to see what God has to say to us, those who are regularly a part of us as a church, but those of you who are visiting, I pray that the Lord would speak to you this morning. Really, really excited about that. Um, just so you know, this was a white shirt before I went to Craven Cottage yesterday, um, but while I was there, the blood of a shockingly horrific defeat to my boys' Liverpool Football Club, um, was, it just is a blood spattering over my body. Um, uh, so uh, it is now red and white. So it was quite a horrific moment. Um, but uh, one of those days, really. But um, I want to say something. We as a church, um, we believe we're involved in the most glorious mission known to mankind. We call this the Missio Dei, or the mission of God. We believe that God is on mission to restore all of reality to such a beautiful, glorious kind of a newness, what He's always longed for it. And we believe that as a church, we've been sucked into that. We believe as a church, once you're born again, once you're made a believer, a follower of Christ, the mission isn't to sit on your chair and say, yippee, I'm in. The mission is to go, who else needs to hear the story? Who else needs to know about the redeeming, restoring, wonderfully changing love of God? And so we're on this mission. We're in it, and we know it's God's stunning initiative to restore lost, broken people and a dying world to wholeness and a future too marvelous to imagine. We're in on that. Do you believe that, church? Yes. Or are we just meeting and hanging out because this is a fun place to do it? No, we're, we're in the mission of God. And as Christians, we're in a generation where, where the whole church is starting to wake up to this. Oh, it's through the church that God is going to restore all of reality. Oh. I thought it really was about hand up one at a time and just, yippee, I've got the ticket. I'm going to wait for the big gig when it all comes to an end. No, we're in the big gig now. This is the big gig. The joy of living for Jesus in front of people that don't know him and drawing them into relationship with God. We're in on it because Christ commanded us to do so. Not only that, he's given us a radical power to do so. The Holy Spirit dwells in me. I don't try and achieve the mission of God by being better at what I do. I respond to the promptings of the Holy Spirit because He's filled me with Himself and given me radical power to live a radically different life to encounter those that don't know Him. And I also know that this is a place for us to be because our greatest joy is found in living life to the full to see the glory of God revealed in the changing of lives. I know that for certain. That my greatest joy is not found in making money for myself, building a name for Simon Lee Jones. My greatest joy is found in seeing lives transformed for the glory of Jesus, saying that what he says is true and seeing it in transforming lives like Lorraine and many others. There's such joy in that. It's strange, you know, the, uh, you know when you're kind of looking for your glasses or looking for your keys, um, 
There's always f funny one thing people say is that, uh, I, you know, I couldn't believe it. I would never have imagined of looking in the place that I found it, you know. And uh, like once, if only I'd looked there first, I wouldn't have looked any longer. Well, obviously the dynamic is that once you found it, you don't look any longer anyway. If you looked any longer for keys you've already found, they probably need to institutionalize you. So that's, you know, you always go, oh, I never would have thought. I mean, why didn't I look there first? Well, you didn't look there first because if you looked there first, the search wouldn't have been so long. You would have found it then. But if you carried on searching, there's a real issue with that. But um, it's kind of like, oh, it's nothing worse than when it's on your head, your glasses. Oh, where are my glasses? Glasses, where are my glasses? And your two-year-old son, Daddy, glasses on your head. Oh. Anyway, while I was studying for this passage, while I was preparing to, to, to share what God had on his heart for us, this is kind of a similar moment. Discovering something almost out of the blue. Like, I didn't realize that was there. And um, as we talk about living in this mission, I found that surprisingly this 3,500-year-old passage of Scripture speaks so effectively to us as, us as a church to how and why we're meant to be on the mission of God. Scripture just, it's speaking to us. And, and we speak of a phrase as a church. We've been throwing out a phrase, talking a lot about a phrase called missional. And basically it's a radical difference between thinking that missions is something that church does when we send the really crazy people all the way across the sea to the really nasty people. We've changed. We now understand that missions is on our doorsteps. We now understand that unless you're embracing relationships with those who really in your own neighborhood probably don't know Jesus... We are walking amongst the lost. In fact, there's probably more happening in Africa and Asia, the places where we think, oh, that's where God needs to go. There's probably a lot more happening there than there is in our own doorstep. There is a lost, dying world around us. And so we've realized as a church, whoa, let's be missional. Let's live our lives in such a way to engage with those that don't know Jesus, to embrace relationship with them, to immerse ourselves in culture without becoming like culture, but actually coming into culture and bringing people into relationship with us. I've actually said, and I'll stick by this, if the members of our church, or who will become members as we do a membership course, aren't having their unsaved neighbors for meals in their home, they don't get it. That, that, that's what's got to happen. We've got to get to that point. Instead of saying, oh, they're the enemy, they're scary, they don't know Jesus. So no, they need Jesus. And you know what? They're pretty much exactly like us. These enemies that we think they are. And so we're, we're really about, how do we live life as a church? How do we do church in a way that anyone can just come among us? Hence moving to a cinema. As Andy said, one of the first times we ever met, this is more their place than it is ours. We'd much prefer to walk into a lovely church, got a big cross in front of it that says, away if you don't know God, this is our space. No, we want to meet in a cinema where they'd be like, no, this is our space. Why is there a church coming in my screen? We flipped the corner. We flipped the coin. Because we want to be where people are at. And amazingly, as, you look, as I look through this passage, I'm like, oh, what am I going to preach on? Because it's the next section of this passage that's so powerful normally. But this first section, the first 11 verses, God just spoke right into me and right into us. So we're going to do... Um, Something I've entitled Fearless Missional Immersion. Get in. Fearless immer Missional Immersion. Get in. Joshua chapter 2 verses 1 through 11. Let me read that to us. Then Joshua son of Nun secretly sent two spies from, I hate it when I have to, uh, shit him. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Hmm, entering the house of a prostitute. Hmm. The king of Jericho was told, look. Some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out in the land. Obviously, their disguise was miraculously brilliant because the kings already found out that they're here. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they've come to spy out the whole land. 
But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they'd come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she laid out on the roof. Verse 7. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. For when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven, above and on the earth below. It's important as we read scripture because we believe uh, one of our main values is that um, we believe in the absolute truth of scripture. But what's very important is that you enter the story of Scripture. Be careful not to see it as distant ancient texts, but enter the story. Enter, enter this radical story. Here's Joshua saying, look, we've got a real deal to go ahead of us. We've got to do, we've got to do this right. He secretly selects two spies. They cross the Jordan River somehow themselves. You know, maybe they want to do like canoes. Maybe they hired Hiawatha, you know, to kind of take them across. I don't know, but you've, you've got this, this, this group of two spies heading across. And you've got to enter the story. It's probably done at night. It's a secret mission. And God is at work through this. And, 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 and as you read the story, enter into it. In a sense, these two were Joshua's special forces. These were the ones that were going to provide essential human intel. I don't know if you've ever heard of the phrase human intel. All right, we need intelligence, okay? We're going to raid, but we need intelligence. Go and find out what they do. When do the walls close? When do they shut the doors? How many men have they got on the walls? Let's find those out. Would you guys go for me? Go and find these things out for me. And one thing I want to say before I even get into the main gist of my message, and that we need to know as followers of Jesus, is that faith does not preclude duty. In other words, harking back to what Andy shared to us yesterday, Joshua could have said, well, God's with us. Let's just sprint straight up to the door, knock on the door. Something's going to happen. No, no, no. He realized, let's, let's think this through. There's a duty here. I've got to be wise. I've got to deploy my troops properly. I've got to hear the voice of God. It's probably important that I know what's going on. And it's the same in our own lives. You see, Joshua was performing his duty. He didn't just say, well, God said it. Let's just do it. Yippee. He said, I'm going to prepare an appropriate strategy. That's what God's called me to do. I'm the leader of God's men and God's woman. I'm the leader of this army. So I'm going to prepare a strategy, keep waiting on God, keep hearing the voice of God, but I need to find out how do we take this city. You guys, go in there. You're the secret mission. And I think what's so important for many believers today is to come to grips with this. Okay? So what we have here is God selects, Joshua selects missional men. God selects and, and Joshua selects them. But one thing before we even get into that is this. God commands us to pray. God commands us to pray. Pray about all things. Matthew 6 verse 11. Pray and the Father will answer you. Okay, he commands us to do that. For daily provision. Ask and the Lord shall give you. Pray for your daily bread. That's part of the Lord's prayer. But also God says to work, to provide for your own. If you turn to 1 Timothy 5 verse 8. You have Paul telling Timothy because some of the people in the church in Ephesus were getting a bit lady, lazy. But lady. But lazy. I tell you, if some of the guys were getting a bit lady, we'd have to think about that as well. Um, 
the first Timothy 5 verse 8. Okay, so we have this command, pray and God will provide. But then we have this, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So unfortunately, this really flies in the face of the young boys who kind of want to stay in mommy's house till they're 35 and think about, well, if I keep praying, God's going to provide for me. No, no, get a job. It's the same with us. It's the same. We could sit and think, oh, God's just going to provide for my daily needs. God, keep providing for my daily needs. God, I need you to provide for my daily, oh, council taxes. God, keep, get a job. What? Can't be the Holy Spirit. You can have all the faith in the world that I'm going to get out of this room and get into the Ben and Jerry's area and share teas and coffees with you. But it's more than likely that unlike Philip, the guy who got carried to encounter the eunuch, I'm probably going to have to use my two feet to get out there. There's a part of me that says, if I want to engage with people outside there who are visiting us, I can have faith that you'll engage with them through me. But he's actually saying, uh, through me is a kind of the clue. Why don't you leave the door and go and engage with them? So faith doesn't preclude duty. There's a part on our part to play. We could pray as much as we like, but normally God is saying, all right, now do. And I'll come in the doing. I'll come alongside the doing and provide within the doing. It also says in Proverbs 3 verse 5, a very well-known scripture, trust in the Lord. But it also says, if you look through the whole rest of the book of Proverbs, work, store, save, seek counsel, be involved in good relationships. So it's easy to say, well, I just said to the Lord, you know, trust, you know, I just trusted in the Lord. Um, and I started going out with this girl who um, definitely didn't love Jesus. And um, she suddenly got me in a private room and, 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 and got naked in front of me. And I don't know what happened, um, but I was really trusting in God. No, you need to get away from that situation. You could trust in God as much as you like, young man or whoever. But if you're going to get yourself in that situation, there's probably going to be an issue. I'm really trusting in the Lord. Click, click, click. Oh, dear, look what I'm looking at right now. Don't go there. Faith doesn't preclude duty. Yes, we need to be filled with faith, people of God, but we need to understand what God is calling us to do. And we see that right in the beginning here. But what Joshua does is he selects missional men. Cromwell said this, listen to this, trust in God as they're about to fight and keep your powder dry. Trust in God and keep your powder dry. If you're going to engage with the enemy, you want to make sure you can engage with him. So Joshua selects missional men, and I think there's so much for us to learn. This concept of what, what type of people would God use to engage with those who don't know him in our world today? And I think there's three things here. Firstly, he chooses those who are obedient. You see, Joshua hand-selected these men, and I can guarantee you Joshua knew them personally. I can imagine over the years of battle, over the time that he's been under Moses' guidance, he's been watching certain men. And these two stood out. You know why? Because he, he didn't want to repeat occurrence of what happened 40 years earlier when 12 guys were chosen. 10 of them come back going, oh my gosh, they're really big and they're going to hurt us. And two of them, Joshua and Caleb, are going, but God's with us. Who cares? Let's do this. He didn't want to send out another 50. Well, let's just send numbers. And 50, 49 of them come back, oh my word, the city's so big. And one of them's going, no, I think we can do it. And the majority rules. One he selects two obedient men. Now, firstly, they needed to be obedient because what basically Joshua was saying was going, go from this side of the river where there's two million of us and now go on your own and go and hang out in the middle of the city. Uh, are you serious? Where all the baddies are? Yep, right in the middle. Would you go? 
That takes a certain type of person to be obedient to the voice of God speaking through Joshua. He knew they would respond obediently to the perilous command to invade enemy territory. God is speaking to all of us about our neighbors, about our workmates, about our friendships. How is your obedience to the commands of God? Not just in this area, but are, would you be one of the hand-selected two that Joshua would have looked at and said, Jim P, go for me. Catherine, go for me. Or would he have gone, you know what, there's some issues in your life where you're just not being obedient. And I'm fearful if I send you right in the midst of the city, you're going to get taken down. These men were selected because they were obedient. God wants His people to be obedient to His law. It's amazing when you read some of the really intimate passages of Scripture. John chapter 15, for example. Those who love me sing lovely songs and have the biggest smile every Sunday morning. No, those who love me obey my commands. You see, there's a natural response out of those who have tasted and felt the love of God to say, what do you want me to do? Because if you love me this much to change my life in this way, why would I want to live it according to my own agenda? Secondly, purity. I don't know if you recall, as we saw in the life of Joshua himself, as we're doing our introduction and looking at the life of Joshua, one thing I said about him is that he was a man who lived life against the flow. We see that in two occurrences. The first is when he sent with the other 40 men, uh, the, other, the other 10 men, or 11, including Caleb, to go and engage, engage the land and to tell and give feedback, give human intel about what's going on. The flow was, whoa, big guys, they're going to take us out. There's no way we can do this. He went against the flow. His desire was so for God. His desire was so for God's mission that he said, no, 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 we can do this. Or more importantly, when we see Moses and Joshua coming down the hill once they've encountered God and God says to them, you need to go back down to the camp. And what's happened is Aaron has got everyone to pull off their, their, their uh, earrings and their whatever and they've made a golden calf. All right, we've got the God who moves the Red Sea for us. We've got the God who moves by a pillar of smoke by day and fire by night. But let's worship a calf instead. Sorry? Pardon? And Joshua comes down. You know what Joshua could have done? He could have gone, Moses, two million. Mm. Moses, why are we up there? So no, he goes against the flow. His purity, his desire for the purposes of God, his knowledge that God, living for God, living for his glory, living in that place where he's in personal relationship with you was far better than choosing the sin of the camp. Purity. The only reason... That Joshua could send these men into a seedy underworld was because he knew they would live life against the flow and remain pure even though the other option was available. And I think this, particularly for men but also for ladies, but particularly for men, is extremely necessary. A desire and a passion for purity in an age where we are part of a disastrously destructive, sexually primed society. God needs pure people. And it's hard, guys. I always say when I'm talking to men about pornography and issues like that, that when I was a young man, and I don't mind being open about this, when I was a young man, when Zimbabwe, you needed to know A, who knew B, who could discover C, to tell you about where you could maybe find one page of a magazine to have a look at a dirty magazine. Do you know what today? Your six-year-old kid 
came click, wham, in his face, wham in her face. My sister tells me she was downstairs, her two little girls, eight and six at the time, it would be eight and five, or eight and six, eight and five at the time. Mommy, mommy, come upstairs. Naked woman right in their face, looking for stuff to do with, I think it was like a fairy thing, you could go onto one of the Disney sites. Up comes this thing. If you're going to be a missional person, trust me in this. There is nothing harder than a leadership to go, do you know what? Let's put less things on during the week so people can engage in non-Christian relationships. There's nothing hard. You know what would be easier for us? Let's just make everything happen at church so we can make sure they don't engage with the bad people and get sucked into that world. Don't do street angels. Oh, my word. You might see a woman wearing a belt instead of a skirt. No. We're trusting God, we're trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit within you, that He can give you the power, that you would desire God more than the desires of this world and engage in relationships. You know, where I, 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 went, uh, I went somewhere yesterday. The amount of times I heard Jesus Christ used as a swear word, it just started ripping away at my heart. It just started cutting away. And you know what I could have said? Well, stuff you lot, see you later. No, no, no. Why would they not use it as a swear word? Tell me, why would they not? They know nothing else. Sometimes we impose on people that don't know God the laws or the, the things we're trying to apply to our own lives. I know Kiri and I always used to talk about engaging when I was um, working for Threshers and Kiri was working for um, Esporta. You come home and you say, I can't believe some of the things they talk about, what they've been up to. That guy was talking about an orgy. You're like, I can't believe. Why wouldn't they? That's how life, the world, is teaching them to live. We can't go into those relationships imposing some sort of level of morality. But we can be pure. We can live life in such a way, Tony's talking about how it's happening in some of his work, workplace relationships, where people are asking questions. Because he just handles life a little differently. Hopefully a lot differently, but definitely differently. Are people asking those questions of you in your workplace? Are your neighbors asking those questions of you? Hey, um, we've got no plans for Christmas, but I, 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 know, um, I know you guys are really into this Jesus thing. Ooh, you got anything going on? We'd like to come along. Or would they never be able to speak to you because they've never ever graced your doorstep? Purity. How are we faring in our interaction with a thoroughly immoral world? I need to check the clock because I know me. All right. Thirdly, faith. These men, unlike 10 of the 12, which were sent 40 years earlier, were marked by faith. Firstly, the boldness to enter the city of Jericho. Don't let it enter your mind, my friends, that these men of faith were the airy-fairy, sock-and-sandal-wearing, blue-eyed, pom-pom, hair-displaying men that are typically pictured as men of God. Oh, no. Jesus loves you. Yeah, yeah. Jesus loves you. <laughs> no way. These were men. With faith, with boldness, went into the city of Jericho saying, bring it on. It's death or it's life. They displayed faith in action. You know the book of James is one of the most painful books to read because you've kind of been all convinced that oh, all I needed to do was believe in Jesus and now oh, I'm saved and it's also all the ooey gooey feelings. And James says, do, 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 do. Live a life like this. Have a pure tongue. Have a pure heart. Flee from the devil. Flee from immoral world. What, James? Come on, you keep it down. I mean, Calvin wanted to keep the book out of Scripture. And it was Luther. Because it looked like, well, here Paul says it's faith alone that brings salvation. Here James is saying, but faith works, man. 
faith works itself out. These men were chosen because Joshua knew their faith would work itself out. And the boldness and the willingness to go into the, the, the enemy city. And secondly, their certainty in the power and deliverance of God. See Joshua 2, chapter 14. We didn't read there, but listen to this. They say to, in response to Rahab, our lives for your lives. The men assured her, if you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully. If the Lord gives you the land... When the Lord gives us the land. A guy called um, Francis Schaeffer comments on this. Not if, but when. These men understood that God's promises were going to stand sure. Their faith was a complete contrast to the doubts of the ten spies who were sent at the time of Moses. Not if God gives us this land, Rahab. When God gives us this land, we will deliver you. Men of faith. Are we people of faith? Are we certain, certain and sure of the promises of God? The promises that have just been resounding as we've been going through this text? We've only done one and a half chapters. Promise after promise after promise. But are we people of faith believing those promises? Because only then can you be missional. Only if you truly trust in the promises of God are you able to enter a world which could snatch you and take you. But if you say, that world compared to loving and being loved by God, keep it. I'm here to show you how great it is. Will you be an anonymous missional warrior refusing all self-comforts, self-glory that this world seeks to force feed you for the great glory of the saving power of God? I ask that question again. Will you be an anonymous missional warrior refusing self-comfort, self-glory that this world seeks to force feed you with for the great glory of the saving power of God to bring the lost and broken to new life? Will you be that type of missional warrior? Obedient, pure, faithful. Let me tell you three people types you will engage if you dare to take this on. Okay, three people types from this passage of scripture that you will engage. If you're willing to take on the missional battle, if you're willing to let the power and the work of the Holy Spirit to mold you, understand what I'm saying again. You don't choose to be missional because you think, oh, I could be hardcore, I could take on the world. No. It's because you trust in the power of the Holy Spirit to work in you. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. If you want to stay away from the lifestyle that's going to damage and destroy you, be led, be filled, be led by the Holy Spirit. But if you're willing to take on that missional battle, let the Holy Spirit mold you and engage. And remember that the only way that is possible is not in your own strength. It's like Joshua himself. It was his trust and certainty in the power and promises of God that gave him the strength and the courage to gauge the enemies of the land and possess those stunning promises. It's the same for us. It's our trust and faith in the work of God by his Holy Spirit and the promises of God that enables us to engage in that battle, to be missional. Then I want you to be aware of three people types you will engage from this passage of Scripture. Firstly, you will engage aggravated authorities, okay? The king of Jericho says, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy on the land. Verse 2, you will engage the enemy himself, Satan. But you'll also engage enemies, enemies of the mind. Alistair Dawkins, is it? Mr. Dawkins? Richard Dawkins is Alistair McGrath. that has got such powerful arguments against him. You believe in God, you absolute loser. You'll have to engage that. You're going to have to engage people that are radically against anyone believing in the myth of God. Aggravated mental authorities. You'll also engage with authorities at workplace. When you try and stand up for your faith, people that are say, no, 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 we can't have that. You will engage with authorities. But most importantly, you will engage with the enemy because he's watching our every move and will oppose all the efforts of God's cause. 
Listen to this. The actions of the king of Jericho were predictable and parallel Satan's activity today. Fear motivated the king to be alert to any threat. Likewise, Satan dreads God's pronouncement of his sure defeat. In desperation, he tries to thwart God's intentions to disrupt God's program by doing everything he can to trap individual servants of God. Satan will be on our case if we want to engage in battle. We will encounter aggravated authority. Secondly, we will encounter the spiritual masses. Verse 10 and 11. Okay, Rahab says, we have heard. We have heard. Verse 11. When we heard of it, our hearts melted. For 40 years, God had been giving the people of Canaan an opportunity to turn to him. For 40 years, they'd known about this great God that delivered 2 million people, maybe more, across the Red Sea. The story of God was out there. And we can see now that for 1900 years, the story of Christ has been out there. 1950 years, however long. It's been out there. But people will reject and ignore it. People long to be spiritual. We live in one of the most spiritual ages there ever have been. People are open to spirituality. People are alive to it. And the story of Jesus has been out there. The story of Jesus is known. Even as we come up to Christmas right now, it is one of the final frontiers of favor that the church has. It's one of the only final things where you can say to someone, do you want to come to our Christmas thing? Yeah. Everything else has been taken from us and replaced with things like Halloween. What is Halloween? It's just a money-making racket. I mean, what is it? That's what I want to know. No one wants to be imposed upon by a king other than ourselves. You'll engage spiritual masses who've heard about God, who know God, who've seen things happen that maybe is God. They know Christian friends. But they don't want to be ruled by a king other than themselves. You will engage those type of people. We have heard. But we live in an age of pluralism and secularism and materialism where people think, no, there's many ways up the mountain to God. Just choose your own. We live in a way where secularism, anything spiritual is locked out. There's nothing spiritual that can impact today's world. Materialism, where, what about, it, where it's all about what I own makes me what I am. We will engage those people. Spiritual masses who've heard the story, who are aware of it but are being locked down and sucked in by pluralism and secularism and materialism. Thirdly, we will encounter awakened seekers. Do you know that? Some of the relationships you're avoiding today are awakened seekers. The glorious, marvelous truth that there will be those that our powerful God is awakening. They're the ones who are asking the deep questions they're feeling new feelings. They're certain there's more to life than this. Something's happening that they can't understand. Because God's at work on them. Look here at Rahab. Verse 9. She said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us. A lot of people have heard Rahab knew. Spiritual masses, we have heard. Awakened seekers, I know. God was at work on this person's heart, opening her up to the invasion of the gospel and the people of God. I know that the Lord has given you this land. So I say this. Next slide. Go. Secure in God's sovereign saving grace. You see, sadly, many of us as Christians have hidden ourselves or continue to do so in some safe holy huddle, some safe bubble, 
one of the guys we um we spoke at our conference two years ago, a guy called Mark Driscoll talked about bomb shelter churches. Churches that create a little bomb shelter. Keep the world out. Don't ever engage with the world. Just let, let's look after ourselves and make sure no one that doesn't know Jesus dares to walk through the door. What would we do? How would we handle that? Not going to be one of those churches, X1. We're not going to be one of those churches. Just so you know, if you're a part of us, that's what you're in for. They're in fear that those in the world without Jesus are the enemy and that we should have nothing to do with them. The problem is God is so much greater than that. God's infinite grace and power to restore the broken and the lost to himself cannot be thwarted. No matter how impossible it appears for some to know Jesus, we see even here that God can change the heart and transform the life of anyone. It's not because people are running to God. It's because God is so loving, so caring, so merciful, so graceful that he reaches into the heart of a prostitute whose life was so rotten that everyone would have said, Oh, no, Jesus, never. Yes, because he loves so much. He has so much grace. He is reaching out. People don't run to God. God runs to them to draw him to himself. That's why we can go safe in the sovereign saving grace of God. I'll go because God's at work. Not because I'm cool and I'm more likely to get people saved than others because I've got a big mouth. No way. It's because God is at work. God is awakening people. Some of the most rotten people. Let me tell you the marks against Rahab. One, she was a Gentile. That means she had no religious background. Like many of the people that we will engage in our world today. We've had people come into this church that have never ever done church. In fact, one of Kiri's brother's girlfriends, first time she'd ever had anything to do with church was when she came here. No religious background whatsoever. Same with a Gentile. Back in that age, a Gentile, they didn't grow up with the truths of God. They didn't grow up in the presence of Jehovah, the Israelite God at that time. They had no knowledge of the law. We lived in an age where there's, people have no idea that there's two testaments in the Bible. Do you know how many testaments are in the Bible? Testaments. Are those like a special fresh breath thing? Test testament. That's how religiously barren the culture we're in. She was a Gentile. That's a mark against you in those days. Do you know what? She was an Amorite. If you turn to Genesis 15 verse 16, it talks about the Amorites having a type of worship where, for some reason, you sacrifice your own children to worship God. They were the sickest of the sick. Not only were they Gentiles, they were sick Amorites. So nasty, so disgusting in their practices, so godless, so anti-God, sacrificing their own children, engaging in sexual orgies in order to worship God. There was no way an Amorite should ever come to God. You can't tell God that though. These are what we would call a jacked up crowd. The Amorites were singled out for particular condemnation for their sin. Genesis 15, 16. They were corrupt, vile people, even sacrificing their own children as part of their depraved religious practice. No Amorite would come to God because we wouldn't even dare hang out with them. God's greater than that. You can't stop God's love. No, no, no. Finally, she was a whore. That's what the Hebrew word means. You know, you've got your nice little guys today that go, well... Maybe what she was doing now, because she had flax on her roof, she was one of these virtuous women who was self-employed. Well, she was a prostitute. That's why the men went there. Because anyone walks into a prostitute's home and you don't get questioned. In fact, when we lived next door to an escort agency three doors down, we had two guys walk into our house once. And they were like, oh, just looking for a friend. <laughs> Gone. <laughs> you just walk in because it's a prostitute's place. She was a prostitute. 
She was simply and plainly put, a woman who sold her body to make money. Doesn't matter. God wanted her. God took her. God gave her a new hope, new life, new joy. A new job. <laughs> Why did God plan to rescue this harlot? Certainly not because she was the most honorable person in Jericho. The truth is that God spared Rahab for the same reason he saved you and me. He delights to show grace to the undeserving. If you feel undeserving today, I know there are people in this room that do not know Jesus. You may think, well, there's probably two things you think. One, I'm too good for Jesus. He can keep his plan. Or one, I'm too bad for Jesus. There's no way he loves me. He loves you. Because I assure you, you are not a Gentile Amorite prostitute in this room today. And even if you are, he loves you. I don't know if you've been sacrificing your children recently as part of your religious practice. But God would still love you even then. You know who I'm talking to. Your heart's right now on fire. I just want to reject what he's saying. I want to reject the truth. But God is speaking to you. God can and will transform the lives of even the most lost people that we will encounter if we are willing to faithfully, obediently, with purity, engage them missionally. Are you with me on this? Will you dare to maybe, for the first time, knock on one of your neighbor's doors? How are you doing? We've got a new couple moving in across the road. You know what the English thing to do is? Great, they're across the road. We have no reason to see them. They don't need to see them. You know what we're going to do? Yeah, we're going to, oh gee, I don't know why. Knock, knock, look, hey, how you doing? We live across the road. Hope you're well. Is there anything we can do? So un-English, but so missional. Oh, it's that hard. It's that hard to be a missionary. Oh, God, Simon, what are you calling us to? Go across the road and knock on someone's door. Oh, oh, um, okay, I'll think about that. Uh, if you think I'm pushing a personal theology here, turn with me to John chapter 4. I'll take you there. Jesus Takes a walk through Samaria to get to where he was going. Do you want to know something? He didn't have to go through Samaria. There were other ways. But you know what? God had a plan for an individual, a woman who was in God, engaged in multiple sexual relationships, had been an adulteress times five, you name it. She was that type of woman. God wanted to bring her into the kingdom. And you know what? We see another missional warrior engaging a lost soul that God had freely, gracefully, and mercifully wanted to know him. The Samar Samaritan woman wasn't a woman who was pure and righteous and God God said, well, because you're pure and righteous, here I come. The Samaritan woman was someone who was so lost, so alone, and a missional warrior called Jesus takes the time to engage with her and bring salvation, not only to her, but to many in that village. This woman was a Gentile, a Samaritan, hated by the Israelites, and an adulteress. Doesn't matter. God was bringing her into the kingdom. I finish with this. God's irresistible love and grace to restore the unchurched, His people. Those of us who are Christians in this room, let me wake you up to something. Those people that we think are the evil enemy outside the church, they're His people. I do not even love my own son the way that God loves the lost. You have Mr. Jonah who goes, God, don't send me to the Ninevites, because I know what you're like. What you're going to do, you're going to send me to those people who shove spears right through people's bodies, and you know what you're going to do? I'm going to say something, and you're going to save them all just because you're like that, God. I'm not going. I'm not going to go because I'm going to make a fool of myself. Repent, repent, and they'll all repent, and you'll love them. I don't want that. God says, I love that city more than you think. You go. 
because there are many there that I love. You see, something very unpopular, but so absolutely true, is that God will bring those who don't even care or know or want to care or know about Him into His kingdom because He's already planned it and His love is that great, His love is that big. It's irresistible grace. It's irresistible. There is no way I could say no to the grace of God once it opened my heart on June the 20th, 1993. There is no way once it happened that I could say, actually, no thanks. It was done. I was done in. Yes, Lord. It's you. It's you. It's all about you. Why am I so certain that we should be engaging with those immersed in a secular culture with only a media-governed view of Christ? You see, the problem is most of the people that we engage with, their view of Jesus is governed by media. They think Jesus is a blonde Simon Cowell. Because he's the new Jesus. I don't know. Someone out there is already. We're, I don't know. The reason I say go for it is because the immense love and grace of God is irresistible to those he awakens, the Rahabs, whoever they are, and there are more than we can estimate outside the walls of this church.